This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello and welcome in to another edition of At The Turn. This is movie number three of our golf movie fivesome. Nick, today we're talking about the greatest game ever played. Um, I rewatched this movie last night and it was much better than I remember it being, in my opinion. Oh, you didn't like it? Or at least what you remembered of it, you thought it was not very good? I didn't hate it, but I, I remember feeling like when I watched it, it was just one that I watched because it was a golf movie and I felt like I should watch it. Um, but watching it again last night, I was like, oh man, this is a lot better than I thought it was. I, I also read the book before I watched it the first time. I have a couple couple comparisons between the book and the movie. But um, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised with, with um, after watching it last night. Not only a golf movie, but definitely a Disney sports movie, which we'll get into at some point. Greatest Game Ever Played was released in 2005, starring Shia LaBeouf. St- LaBeouf? Shia LaBeouf. LaBeou? How do you say it? I, I don't know. I, I've never said it. I've never said it out loud. I would say Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. I don't know. <laughs> you just did. No idea. Uh, also stars Stephen Delane. Game of Thrones fans will remember him as Stannis Baratheon and Elias Coteus sporting really the worst French accent I've ever heard in my entire life as Papa We Met. You'll recognize him, 90s kids. That's Casey Jones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Directed by the late great Bill Paxton. It made $15 million on a budget of $25 million. So... Not a box office success, despite it being a Disney movie. We're going to do on our... Second. Hold on a second. Go ahead. You're telling me this movie cost $25 million to make. Yeah, baby. Didn't the last one review cost $75 million? Bagger Vance cost $80 million. This movie cost $25 I guess. I guess when you take in the, uh, the cast, that was an all-star cast. 
It really was. I'm sure Will Smith got $20 million of that just by himself. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, like, what separated those two movies? But, yeah, that's it. It's it's that uh, <laughs> that roster. Okay, sorry, Joe. I'll let you keep going. Just no. tell me to shut up. I'm excited about our Empire review. So <laughs> this is this is who is – we're doing a review of the movie as it came out. This one is from Empire. It's from Simon Brond. This is what he had to say. Sentimental? Certainly. Heartwarming and uplifting? Absolutely. A persuasive argument to take golf seriously? Not a chance. <laughs> it's the review. So I guess Simon didn't didn't care for the film. Fair to say. Generally speaking, I think it was pretty well received. Um, I tried to do some research to figure out why it wasn't a bigger hit because Shia LaBeouf in the mid-2000s was like a pretty big Disney star. He's in this story. Very compelling, but just didn't do very well. I really couldn't find out why. Well, it Joe, wasn't. it's a it's a golf movie that takes place in the early 1900s. I mean, I I think that's probably why it didn't do well. I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that. I mean, I I didn't even want to watch it again for those two reasons. I mean, what ki- kind of general, just like person in the general population wants to watch a golf movie based in the early 1900s? Apparently not very many considering the box office returns. Um, So this movie is based on the 1913 U.S. Open that is won by Francis We Met, a caddy who lived across the street from Brookline Country Club. The Country Club. The Country Club. The Country Club. Yes. I think at the The time it was probably called Brookline Country Club. I think there's like another course that, that is Brookline Country Club that's a different course. This is just this is, it's it's the country club. The Look, U.S. Open's coming back, baby. It's your neck of the woods. I gotta I gotta yeah. take your word for it. You know, fun fact: the person whose job I took at the New England PGA left to go work at the country club. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there you go, man. Fun fact. So, the movie primarily focuses on this golf tournament. Um, the three main players are Francis We Met, Harry Varden, and Ted Ray. So, Nick, I have a lot of information about the movie, and I have a lot of information about the golf tournament itself and the players involved. So, what would you like to discuss first? The actual golfers in this movie, some of the historical inaccuracies. Where, where would you like to begin? I would like begin? to kind of just start with the movie itself and then i don't know i guess i didn't really separate those two things so so my oh. notes will probably bounce back and forth from your notes but was, you're so much more organized than i am <laughs> well Damn, Joe. we have we have a lot of inaccuracies um so that's, the movie... that's good I, I'm, I'm glad you you said that because i'm watching this last night with my wife and i'm just like starting the movie i'm like it's a true story which i think is important and so then like every shot that would happen she's like did that really happen i'm like well it's a true story it must have happened so uh, I'm glad you can separate the fact from the fiction here. Well, it's not so much me as Wikipedia because <laughs> those people have details about the 1913 U.S. Open so specific that you can really point to some of the climactic parts and say, well, this happened and this didn't. So let's start with the movie, generally speaking. I am Team LaBeouf. I really like him in movies. He have you seen the peanut butter falcon it came out last year a very charming story that he was in i I can't recommend it enough your wife will absolutely love it and i think you'll like it as well i would bet i i don't even i bet you i haven't seen a movie that's been released in the last year 
any movies? Like, but that's been released in the last year. Well, I can tell you right now, I've been to the movie theater with my wife three times. Like, I, I just don't go to movies in the theaters. So maybe if something that like I, I have to see hits Netflix like pretty quickly, um, yeah. But like, it, if a movie came out in the last year, Joe, I haven't seen it. Well, fortunately for you, <laughs> this movie came out 15 years ago. But I'm Team LaBeouf. I really enjoy him. Um, I think he's really strong in this movie. Love the relationship between him and the caddy, young Eddie. That part is true. He literally had a 10-year-old caddy named Eddie Lowry, who was a person in real life. And I have some fun facts about him to come a little later. Can't but to me, I, I love that relationship between the two. I understand the whole point of, like, his dad saying, you know, we don't belong, Francis. And they really, this is the Disneyfication of this. Guys, I get it. I get that there's a class system going on here. That golfers, even of the caliber of Harry Varden, who was probably viewed as the greatest golfer of all time at that point, he can't even become a member of his own home club because that's for distinguished gentlemen and not for the lowlifes like a golfer. And then even below that, you have the Francis We Mets of the world, the caddies who don't really belong, and the love interest in the movie. You know, that's fine. I guess you have to have that. And you have her brother just being a complete dick the entire movie, calling him caddy boy when he <laughs> fails to qualify for the U.S. Amateur. So I get all of that. It's a Disney movie. That's all well and good. Generally speaking, I enjoyed the movie. Um, but some of the inaccuracies bring my score down ultimately. Okay, interesting. Well, my overall take after rewatching this movie is this is a damn good story. Like, it is... It's an awesome story. And the fact that it's true, I mean, an amateur caddy won the U.S. Open in 1913 against the two of the best golfers in the world. And, and as you said, Harry Varden, who goes down to be the golf, you know, one of the best of his generation. So that should not be lost. This movie, I think, needs to get a lot of credit for telling this story and in, in leaving this in history. Because if it wasn't for this movie, I would have no idea any of this ever happened. Nick, do you care to venture a guess at the winner's share for the 1913 U.S. Open? Well, he was an amateur, so it was zero. Um, but, yes, your point is taken. Um, so what did Harry oh, Varden get for finishing yeah, second of the playoff? I would guess, like, 1500 bucks. $300. bucks. all right. $300, second place, <laughs> third place in the tournament, second place in money, Ted Ray, gets $150, which I thought was interesting. And shout out to Lacey. She made this point. She thought it was in the neighborhood of a thousand bucks too, because they make a point of saying that it cost 50 bucks when you had to enter the U S amateur tournament. So it probably would have cost more presumably to get into the U S open a few years later. And so you have to win the tournament to make five times your money back. Everyone's taking it into the shorts in this thing. Like it's not, it's, it's not a profitable enterprise. And, you know, shout out to Mr. We Met, who's all pissed off reading the papers that his boy is winning the tournament, but you can win no money. You get no money. <laughs> what kind of job is this? There is no money. There's going to be a lot of that in this podcast, folks. I'm very oh, sorry. I can't wait. I cannot um, wait. But I just find that hilarious. The score to get in the playoff. So Francis We Met goes... 77, 74, 74, 79 for a 304 total. 
And that what's that's what gets you in the playoff in the 1913 U.S. Open. So you're talking 12 over par gets you in a playoff in 1913. Look, the I U.S. Understand. Open always protects against par, Joe. You know this. It's just on brand for them. Well, for for comparison, because I was curious, Harry Varden. 1900 U.S. Open champion. He won at the Chicago Golf Club. He posted a 313 total. Goes 79, 78, 76, 80. 80 to win the 1900 U.S. Open. I understand it was different uh, times. That was one hundred twenty. playing in the wrong generation. He could hang an 80 on Sunday at the U.S. Open and I know. be a champion. I just missed my time. That's really Rick. the only problem. Um, Joe, so, I mean, that's not really a fair comparison. Why not? We could be we could be here in a hundred years and guys be shooting in the mid to high fifties and low sixties and be like, oh my god, Tiger Woods shot seventy one in the final round of the Masters and won. I mean, who knows? You know the the difficulty. I mean, they were first of all they were stymieing people left and right. Uh, who knows how well manicured those courses were? Their clubs clearly didn't go nearly as far. People, it, it wasn't as profitable. It wasn't like you could just dedicate your entire life to a professional golfer and be this high status athlete. I mean, it was, it was much different times. So you can't just make a direct comparison to say, Oh, he shot 80 and it's the same as shooting 80 in the final round of a U.S. open today. So I want to get to some of the inaccuracies because I think they're going to be important in determining whether or not you think they impact your thoughts on this film. Yeah. I'm going to have to, you're going to give us this inaccuracies and then we're going to have to take a 30 minute break so I can rework my entire notes for this movie. Cause it's probably <laughs> going to destroy everything I have prepared, but please lay it on. Well, I'll do it now and then I'll give you some time to sort of think on it as we talk. So the movie shows a dramatic finish in the 18th hole playoff with we met sinking a putt in the 18th hole to win the championship by a single stroke. Incredible. He had to make a four-footer to win the U.S. Open, right, Nick? Love it. It's a true story. Wrong. <sighs> Wrong. In reality, we met finished birdie par on 17-18. Varden goes bogey, double bogey. Francis, we met wins this tournament by five shots. He was six clear of Ted Ray. Okay. Thanks, Disney. Yeah. The movie shows the playoff as being in fair weather. And the rain is happening in the third round. In reality, the third round was beautiful. The playoff was what was really the downpour day. And for some reason, they decided to switch those. Yeah, that one doesn't make sense to me. No. I don't know why they would do that. You don't have an extra. Because, I mean, it 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 would make more sense if you're Disney to bring the rain in the playoff. Well, show how tough we met is. My one thought is... The introduction of the fiery redheaded American John McDermott. <laughs> His presence in this movie, I think, is the reason why they switched. Because the really the only time we see him for an extended period of the golf course, you see him like scattered throughout the tournament montage stuff. But in the third round is when you really see him. He rips off the sport coat. You know, he's talking to We Met after he realizes Francis is a real contender. He rips off the sport coat. He gets out there. He's swinging in the muck, snapping clubs over his knee, really being excited and just kind of a weird dude out there. So quick tangent on him. He is still the youngest U.S. Open champion in history. He won the preceding two U.S. Opens leading up to the 1913 U.S. Open. Won the first one as a 19-year-old, Nick, which by my math, 
means that he would have been 21 at the 1913 U.S. Open, and Francis, we met, is 20. Now, riddle me this. Do you think the actor who played John McDermott and Shia LaBeouf were, were the same age or one year apart? <laughs> one of my favorite things to do is to go into these, like, you know, high school TV shows in, in IMDb, the actors, and they're, like, 28 years old playing, like, 17 and 18-year-olds. It's hilarious. Yeah, always. Um the final. I feel a little insulted when, when, I, when I find that out. I'm like, you really big idiot. So the final one I have, Nick, is in the movie, the historic 17th hole at the country club is shown as a dog leg right. When in fact, it is a dog leg left. Another one that doesn't make sense. What, what do you gain by, you know, but that's fine. Does that really bother you? No, it's just an inaccuracy for no reason, apparently. The, the biggest one is is that first one that he, he ended up winning by five, not not one. Um, but that it. one makes sense. Obviously, you're having a dramatic movie. You could have built the drama on the 15, 16, whatever. That, eh, it's fine. But it, it was interesting to, to hear to to see like these shots I'm watching. Is this how it went down? You know, play by play, or, or you know how much of that they kind of uh, dramatized. So that that's interesting. That's good information, Joe. I appreciate that. So Francis, we met. Did some stuff after this tournament. He didn't just go back, went back to the <laughs> to the seersucker store and sold sure. suits and, and tennis rackets and golf clubs. He had a very storied golf career after this tournament. He won the U.S. Amateur twice, 1914-1931. He played on the first eight Walker Cup teams and was a captain of the next four, he had a team record in those Walker Cup matches as 11-1. 11-1 as a player in captain. Captain America. The original. <laughs> in 1951, he was the first non-Brit elected captain of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club in St. Andrews. Wow. We Met has been named to many golf halls of fame. It has a room named after him in the USGA Museum. So far from a one-hit wonder, Francis We Met. Very impressive. Awesome. Nick, can you think of a better nickname for a golfer in the early part of the 20th century than the stylist? Oh, <laughs> no way. Incredible. So Harry Varden, six-time British Open champion, spanning 1896 to 1914. As we mentioned, he won the 19 U.S. Open championship as well. Um, Tom Watson when he was an old man going for his sixth British Open about a decade ago, that would have tied him with Harry Varden. But the stylist still has separated himself from the pack with six how, Open Championship how did, that, how did that Watson one end? I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not me. good. That's not cruel. Good. Uh, Ted Ray. Ted Ray. Not just a big drunk dude who mashes the ball. He won the British Open in nineteen. He was the John. He was the John Daly slash Dustin Johnson of his time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just making putts and banging drinks. Uh, so the nineteen twelve British Open champion. He was the U.S. Open champion in nineteen twenty. That victory at age forty three made him the oldest U.S. Open champion. A record he held for sixty six years. He was supplanted. By Ray Floyd, who was a few months older, then eventually supplanted by Hale Irwin in 1990, who won it at age 45, and that remains the oldest U.S. Open champion. Ted Ray, captain of the British team in the inaugural Ryder Cup in 1927. Wow. So wow. a lot—these players—look, the Disneyfication of it, 
they took some liberties. But saying that Varden and Ted Ray were the class of golf at that time was far from an exaggeration. These guys were it. So it just speaks to how incredible the accomplishment was. I think that's part of what made this movie and I've always known it, but that's what made it enjoyable for me. Like if, if it was complete fiction, I would not have cared as much, but knowing the stature of these golfers and that this amateur caddy beat them all was, that, that was pretty awesome. Um, my favorite scene in the entire movie is when Ted Ray jacks McDermott in the face. Yeah. Shouldn't have brought Jersey into it. <laughs> yeah. And then Varden's like, ah, I think he's actually improved it. Yeah, no, all the little patter between Varden and Ray, I thought was great throughout the movie, how they had sort of this quiet kinship, but it was very sort of British and restrained, Mm -hmm. and then it had to be overt about it. I really liked those two in the film, really good casting with those guys. Yeah. Um, Something I noticed, Nick, and perhaps they just couldn't get someone to play this role. Did you notice on the leaderboard a familiar name besides the three we've discussed? No, not that came to mind. But again, this was this was after I had a few a few shots at the corner club last night. Um, so, sure. yeah, but no, I didn't. Five time PGA champion Walter Hagen finished fourth in this tournament. Three shots out of the playoff. He was in the top ten the entire time. After every round, he was in the top ten. I'm a little surprised they didn't try to have someone play Walter Hagen, make him a central character in this movie. But two thoughts, perhaps, on why they didn't. One the iconic Bruce McGill performance in Legend of Bagger Vance. And I'm not really saying that tongue-in-cheek. I thought he was a brilliant Walter Hagen in that movie. And two, given the kind of reputation Hagen has of being kind of boozy, uh, hooking up with a lot of floozies, um, perhaps that doesn't really jive well with Disney. They already had one of those. <laughs> they had Ted Ray was already in this movie. Like, we came... Have every every single golfer in this movie just being a a, a drunk who who pulls himself onto the golf course and then beats everybody. Um, also, I mean, they had really four golf characters, you know, in the thick of this tournament. I mean, I think they kind of have to draw the line somewhere and how many guys they're going to introduce and play a, a main role in this tournament. Um, that that for me probably you know throwing somebody else into the mix for the general audience who's not a golf population might have been too much. Yeah, that's valid. Um, do you have any notes that you want to lay on me before we get to uh, the different selections that we're going to make? Yeah, for sure. So you touched on this earlier, but I thought that they did a good job, and maybe for you it was too much, of illustrating the classes. I mean, the, just kind of illustrating where golf stood in this moment in time in 1913 where where even a, the best golfers in the world were, were like lower class um, and he, I mean, he, Harry Varden, like you said, couldn't even be a member at his own club. And it, they, they extended him a job to be a, just a measly golf professional. I mean, I think, I think to wrap your head around where it is today and where it was then, I think, you know, that, that illustrates quite a bit. Um, yeah. Nope. <clears throat> Sorry. I was going to launch into another uh, Mr. We Met impression, but I decided against it. Um, They just laid it on so thick. I mean, you have it throughout the course of the movie. You have the movie basically starting with Harry Varden as a young kid in England and the fact that his home is being destroyed for a golf club and that this is a game for gentlemen. You'll never play this game. And it's like, okay, so are we supposed to say that 
think as an audience member that Harry Varden became a six-time British Open champion because some dudes dressed like Abe Lincoln came to his house <laughs> when he was a kid and flicked him a quarter. I found that to be a bit much. Um, Francis's family lives across the street from the freaking golf course. And I get that his mom was his champion and she like, you know, snuck him out to see Harry Varden as a kid and all these things. But they show her like ambling up to the 18th green as her boy's about to win the U.S. Open. Hey, Ma, you can't get out there a little bit earlier and check him out. Pop's already at work. He's not going to find out. Where are his brothers and sisters? Pull their asses out of school. Oh, my God. They're not going to learn how to read for one day. Your brother's about to win the U.S. Open. Maybe that's more important for one day, guys. I don't understand that. They hammer home the class thing so much that the family is almost removed from the entire situation. And I get that the dark cloud of eyebrows that was Mr. We Met, like, hovered over everything. But it still made it, it – it was too much for me, Nick. It was too much. Okay. Fair enough. I, th- I thought it was interesting. I, I thought it was. I thought it was important. So I'm gonna. <laughs> one one thing that I think was lost in translation from the book to the movie is they don't really show any of Francis's development as a golfer. Like he lives across the street from the country club, and he's a caddy. They show him pick up a golf ball in the golf course, and they show the club maker give him a golf club. But that's it really and then he's like rolling putts at midnight and his mom has to come up with a lantern and be like francis you need to go to bed now and but outside of that i mean does that make somebody a u.s open champion in the book they depict that he took this club that he got from his job as a caddy and he he'd find balls on the course and he would just hit balls into the field nonstop, and he, he was just like an addict to the game and then it makes sense that that he can go and play. But in the movie, if you didn't know any better, you'd think he was just some caddy who just watched, watched guys play and then and picked it up. Yeah. I mean, the movie is already two hours. I think if you, you can have, a, you can have a montage of him beating balls from the time he's, you know, 10 to the time he's 20. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. And look, there's, there's plenty you can remove from this movie and still have the story be intact. Um, I get the love interest. I get that. There's not really a payoff with it, though, so I don't oh. really understand why you have it. Like, looking it up, he he married that girl, and they were married for, like, 50 years. But there was no... Oh, that would have been nice to know. Yeah. It's like, I why mean, they, even they have tell her us that the... Eddie became a chameleonaire at the end, but they don't tell us that he married Sarah? Yeah, I know, exactly. Um, so perhaps you can leave that story. It's like, you have the dad. You have the relationship with the girl. Like, you have these relationships... I think they should have chose one. Lace made that point to me, so I'm going to give her credit. But I think they needed to choose one instead of having both those things. It's like, how many classic Disney tropes can we fit in one movie? Um, yeah, was that was that your main point? Did, did, did you have anything else you wanted to? Oh, I have another. I got another point. Yeah, please. I have, I have two more points actually. Great. Um, and both of these were, were things that my wife mentioned during during the movie. So the stymie, I thought it was fun that they threw that in there. Um, because it obviously used to be a big part of the game. It's not anymore. Also, I've been watching a lot of old Masters broadcasts, and I never knew how much they throw in the word stymie every time somebody's behind a tree in the Masters. I don't know if that's a Masters thing or, or what, but anyways, I was glad they threw that in there. Well, for folks that are unfamiliar, can you describe the stymie a little bit? Yeah, so basically, when you're putting, you 
you wouldn't mark your ball. You couldn't mark your ball. So if somebody's ball was between you and the cup, you were stymied. And you had to go around and it was basically going to cost you a stroke. And, and, and Francis tried to chip over the ball and it like bounces out of the cup and, and bounces out. But, um, you know, it was basically you, your line of defense on the golf course. Yeah, I liked it, too, because it led to a conversation of us discussing the stymie. And yeah, um, it would be insane if that was a rule change they decided to make to enact like in golf again, because <laughs> it's it's. The game that that is depicted on this movie and like Bagger Vance and Bagger Vance is closer to what we play golf today. But like the idea of a stymie existing in modern golf is such a departure from what we're used to on the golf course, where if everything's not manicured perfectly, if the bunker is not raked, whatever the case may be, golfers, you know, it's a convenient excuse where I thought the movie did a good job of capturing kind of how grimy the golf course was. And the conditions, like the final putt that we met has, they do kind of an overhead shot of what the green looks like. It's a cow pasture, baby. I mean, that thing is not smooth at all. And I thought that was really nice to say this is the nicest golf course in New England. And if you had those conditions out at your local Muni, folks would be irate. Right, right. I mean, that goes, again, back to people shooting 80 in the final round. They didn't get perfect course conditions. And, I mean, just how things were back then um i think it would be pretty sick if one tournament a year on the pga tour allowed stymies like maybe the match play or something like wouldn't that be awesome if there was stymies in the match play i'd love to see patrick reed get stymied or ian poulter (laughs) just a real red ass that'd be so much fun oh man that'd be awesome okay last last thing um just general thought the u.s open pairing so ashley made the comment like yeah right varden and ray would be paired together like how is that a thing i'm like actually the U.S. Open has always had fun with their pairing. So I thought it was fun that they were paired together. And I got to explain to her that they'll put, like, three fat people together or, like, three people who have finished second in the U.S. Open but never won it or three short hitters or three long hitters. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And if you're going to have these two great British champions come over and then also the British amateur lame guy who's, you know, eventually is the one who gets punched in the face that you talked about earlier um, – yeah, you got to put them in the same group. You got to have the Brits together. For sure. So, you mentioned reading the book a few times. Do you prefer the book or the movie? Like, if someone has seen this movie, they're interested in the story, do you think the book is a good companion piece or have they pretty much gotten everything out of the movie? Yeah, if you've seen the movie, you don't really need to read the book. And it's been a while since I read the book. It was a while back. And I'm I'm not a big reader. I'm not just like a bookworm, you know. So, uh, I I just read it just just because it was a golf book. And I think it's, a, I would definitely recommend reading it if you're interested in the story, but, but I wouldn't say like, you have to have to do both. If you've seen the movie, I wouldn't say you're going to get a whole lot out of it. The only thing I remember, like I said, that was in the book that not wasn't in the movie was, you know, them kind of describing how much he worked in this golf game. One to 10. How much did you love young Eddie? Oh, young Eddie's awesome. I, 11, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I have some fun facts about Eddie, but before I get to those, you had something? I have a quick announcement, Joe. Um, since I'm such a nice guy, I am going to personally give away a dozen Vice Pro golf balls. What? I'm going to. You mad so, man. I know. Um, all you have to do is sign up for the at the turn email newsletter. 
We're sending out two emails a month, just two, nothing crazy, not flooding anybody's inbox. New episodes, deals from our partners, maybe a little bit of extra at the turn content. Um, sign up for that. At the end of April, I'm going to take one random person on our mailing list, and I'm going to personally sanitize the box of golf balls, take them down to the post office, and mail them right to you. I will announce the winner in an email. So you have to be on our list. Check your email. If you want to sign up for our list, any of our social media accounts, Joe, there is a link on our Facebook page and our Instagram and Twitter. It is the link in our bio. Just sign up. You'll get two emails a month. And at the end of April, I'll pick one winner to win a box of Golf Digest Hot List winning gold medal vice pros. Your generosity knows no bounds, Nick. <laughs> That's swell of you. Yeah, I like to be nice. I like to keep people optimistic. We're going to be playing golf again soon, Joe. You're going to need some balls. We are. As a matter of fact, not to digress too much, but I spent like 90 minutes just chipping in my front yard. It was great. All the neighbors were walking by. They were waving and smiling. And yeah, great time. Chip in your yard, people. Work on the short game. Improve that. For sure. Joe, did, you get, a chance to, did, you, get a, did you get a chance to do a trick shot this weekend? So I did try to chip into a cup for 90 minutes. I wasn't going to. So <laughs> basically, I have the trick shot lined up. What I'm okay. going to do is I'm going to – no, you know what? I have an idea. Yeah. If Save I, it. If I execute it, you'll see a video of it. If not, you'll it, never hear about it. It might be in your email. It might be in your email. What, what a reason to sign up. Um, Nick, you already mentioned it. At the end of this film, they did the little postscripts. They mentioned that the young caddy, Eddie Lowry, 10 years old. That's true. Francis we met had a 10-year-old caddy named Eddie Lowry who was with him taking on titans of the game to win the 1913 U.S. Open. The postscript for Eddie was, Eddie is now a multi, was, became a multimillionaire. Eddie became a multimillionaire. And the first thing we said was, how did Eddie make his money? So I did a little research. <laughs> Eddie Lowry became a multimillionaire as an auto dealer in San Francisco. Wow. Wow, West. Move West. That's right. He made some West Coast friends, Nick. Lowry and Bob Hope were friends. And they both played in the 1951 British Amateur Championship. Wow. How do you get into the British Amateur Championship? I, I guess you have to be Bob Hope or the caddy for a U.S. Open champion. I mean, if, if Bob Hope's playing in it, you, you probably just can, can sign up, especially back in the 50s. Yeah. Um, Eddie Lowry enjoyed sponsoring young amateur golfers like Ken Venturi. Yeah. Lowry served on the executive committee of the United States Golf Association. So, became a millionaire, big celebrity friends. He apparently said hello to President Taft. A lot of <laughs> things happened to Eddie Lowry. Loved the character, and I guess that's probably why I was so hard on Hardy last week, the young man for Bagger Vans, because when you juxtaposed him and Eddie, it's no contest, right? No, it is no contest. And, and Hardy wasn't even the caddy. He was like the, the caddy's caddy. The four I've never, caddy. I've never heard of an assistant caddy before. Well, you've never heard of Randolph Juno until a couple weeks ago. <laughs> this is true. Um, okay. Let's get to it. Vic, mm -hmm. what do you think is the most unrealistic shot in the greatest game ever played? Well, there's only one. And there is only one. Me, I'm glad you asked me first. Uh, Ted Ray <laughs> holds out from, from the, behind the forest. <laughs> 
probably weaves through like 55 trees and uh, holes out. <laughs> yeah. I love his like very British reaction. Like, mm. he just kind of like <laughs> solemnly grunts to himself and walks to the next hole. Oh, man. I had one other contender also from Ted Ray when we're introduced to him when they go to the pub and Ted Ray puts a ball in a shot glass mm. and he's got a phone book strapped to the chair and he hauls off a driver and puts it right through that bad boy. That was the other one that I had. Joe, this, this could be a trick shot. Like We should try this. I could try it in my pasture. You probably couldn't do it in your front yard in Portland, oh, if Oregon. I, but, if I miss, <laughs> oh baby. <laughs> this is something I could do, but then, well, I, where am I even going to get a phone book? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I mean, maybe maybe start with like a Manila folder and work your way up to it. Yeah, I don't know. This I'm probably not going to try it. <laughs> okay, who is the best golfer in this movie, Nick? Well, only one golfer in this movie won seven majors. Only one golfer in this movie has the PGA Tour Scoring Average Award named after him. Yeah, it's Harry Varden. It's Harry Varden. It's the stylist. There's there's really no other choice. Like, the Varden trophy is, like, probably the most coveted thing on the PGA Tour because it literally says you played the best golf over the course of the year. It's not the money title. It's not the player of the year, which is voted on. It's not valuing one tournament over another. It's, no, this was your cumulative score for the year, and if it was the best, you get this badass trophy named after a badass golfer. Also, who, who uses the Varden grip, the overlapping grip named after the guy? I mean... He invented a legendary grip. I, I, do you he not did not invent it. What's he, that? He, he did not invent it. Oh, he didn't. Tell no. me more. Well, he didn't invent it. Uh, I guess <laughs> somebody else did. Some other amateur invented it. Didn't write down the name. Um, but he, uh, it's named after him. So do you overlap or do you interlock? That's the overlapping grip. Well, they're two different things. I know it. Oh, do I overlap? You. I'm asking what Nick Heidelberger does. Oh, no. I overlap. You do? Yeah. I've always been an interlocker. I, I've kinda, I, I actually have switched, but uh, I, I'm, an, I'm an overlapper now. I mean, my grip's always been a mess, so I probably should <laughs> change it. Um, okay. I think this is an easy one, too, Nick. Who's the worst golfer in this movie? Bad Francis we met is the worst golfer in the movie. Bad? Wait, what? So I know it's hard to just say that Francis we met is is the worst golfer in the movie because he wins the U.S. Open. But when they show Francis we met when he's a young kid shanking balls in the middle of Dick's Sporting Goods, when they show him in the bunker when his boss is watching and he makes a nine because he can't get out of the bunker, when they show him under pressure, they show him trying to qualify for the U.S. Amateur, he hits this terrible putt. When he's under pressure, when he's bad – Bad Francis We Met is the worst golfer in the movie. Oh, my God. You're saying Francis We Met? The hero of the movie. The reason we're gathered here today is the worst <laughs> golfer in the greatest game ever played, the game that he played. That's my take, Joe. Okay. Well, my take is the worst golfer in this movie. Out of, out of all the characters we see, who do you think is the least likely to pick up a club and do something good with it? The answer is quite simple. It's Mr. We Met. There's no way that Francis's dad is good at golf. He hates golf so much 
The only way that Francis can get approval from his father is to win the damned U.S. Open. That's what it. T- that's the bar in the We Met family for success. If he loses in a playoff to Harry Varden and Ted Ray, everyone's <laughs> parents is so proud of them. But Francis is dead. You don't make money. You don't get the money. He's just mad at him. There's nothing. It's incredible that it takes that moment for Mr. We Met to be proud of his son. He's a terrible golfer, a worse father. It's Mr. We Met. Wow. <laughs> fair, Joe. Fair. Harsh, but fair. Thank you. So do you have your, uh, unless you have anything else, we've arrived at the portion of the show where we give our score. Yeah, I, I do have a score for this movie. I think it's going to be better than yours uh, based on uh, how this has gone so far. I'm going to give it an even par. Um I think it's a good story. I think it's an important story. I think it tells uh, an important part of history that, again, may otherwise be lost. I mean, how many of these things that are in this movie would you probably not ever know about if it wasn't for this? Um, and so for that reason, I thought it was pretty engaging. I was interested. Uh, I gave it even par. It's not – didn't give it under par. It's not better than Tin Cup in my opinion, which I gave even par. So that's kind of where the bar is set. So even par. So previously, I gave Legend of Bagger Vance a 77. I gave Tin Cup a two under par 70. I'm going to give the greatest game ever played a one under par 71. All the junk I talked about this movie, a lot of that has to do with the Disney stuff. I do think that a lot of the golf scenes are done very, very well. They do do a nice job of making them suspenseful. The whole third round in the rain That is in my top five, that scene and that sequence, top five of any sports movie moment. I think that is done so well. It makes golf exciting. These guys are out there probably shooting in the 80s, and they still make it very compelling. The guy's breaking sticks. They're fired up. It's all very exciting. I really enjoy this movie a lot. I think it's really well done. Again, I highly enjoy Shia LaBeouf, the relationship between the caddy and the golfer outstanding Varden Ray McDermott the British amateur guy I thought all the casting of the golfers was good all of like the rich aristocratic guys like the big slob that British guy slurping oysters not really understanding what's happening around him the father of the rich daughter who he ends up marrying that guy's really good the douchey brother like these are all stereotypical type characters but I thought they were executed really well I really enjoy this movie. Um, some of the historical stuff, I was being hard on it. I, I, I get why they made the changes, because it makes a more compelling story. Um, did they focus on some things I didn't think were important? Yeah. Did I find Francis's dad to be a bit tedious? Definitely. But all that being said, I actually really enjoy this movie. It's a one under par 71 for me. Awesome. Good stuff. So that's the greatest game ever played. Nick, we are now at the turn of our golf movie fivesome. We've got two more to go. They're the biggest two left, folks. You know them. Joe, if if the Masters doesn't start until the back nine on Sunday, the at the turn movie review fivesome doesn't begin until we get to Happy Gilmore and Caddyshack. Have you decided what order we want to do it in? Let's not let's not say here. We'll make it a surprise for the patrons out there, but it's gonna be one of those two films. I've I've got an idea. You do. Do you want to share it here, or should we share it? No, with I'm just it? saying I've got an idea of of the, of the order. Yeah, no, we'll, okay. we'll keep it silent. Yeah, we'll keep it in a lockbox. We'll unlock it next Sunday. Uh, I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is. Thank you. Fun. Thank you all so much for listening. After the golf movie fivesome is wrapped up, we have some more fun ideas coming. Nick, 
has been in his bunker researching. We've got a lot of cool things coming up after this is done, so please stick with us on At The Turn as we, thank God, move into April finally. It's probably April by the time you're listening to this. Congratulations, we made it through the longest march in the history of modern civilization. Hope you're staying safe out there. Hope you're washing your hands. Hope your loved ones are safe. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.